So we say yes, so we say yes. Is anybody out there saying yes to God? Thank you, Lord. Thank you, thank you, Jesus. We bless you this morning, God. We thank you for the work that you're doing on earth. We thank you, God, that you would include us in that work, invite us into it. And God, we say yes to that, Lord. We want to be, uh, God, uh, of course, redeemed, but also we want to be part of your salvation plan on earth in these days. So we just say yes. We ask you to pour your spirit out upon us, God. We ask you for wisdom. We ask you for clarity. We ask you for encouragement. We ask you for revelation. We ask you for conviction. Whatever, whatever is your will for our lives, God, we want. And we ask you to open your word to us today, Jesus. Amen. Amen. Okay, here we go. So again, the red types and the teeny type things, it's, I just leave that in every week as I build another teaching. So there's, you know, the underlining and the caps is for me, so I don't miss anything, but I end up missing things all the time. And so you, but you have my notes, so you're accountable, you're accountable there. Um, and also, um, the little teeny type has to do with things that are in the scripture that I want you to see. I'm not glossing over anything ever for the sake of it not fitting what I believe. I am accountable to the word of God. And if teachers were accountable to the word of God, we'd have a lot less goofy doctrine. So it's, I mean, the book is not an easy book. It's intended on one hand to be able to dive right in when someone meets the Lord. But at the same time, the invitation is how deep do you want to go? So, and we want to go deep. So one correction from last week and a couple of weeks, I keep getting the P words mixed up. And when I'm talking about the people of the prince who is to come, who would destroy the temple, they are Syrians. They are not, it is not a revived Roman empire. And the word that is used, I kept saying partisans, but the word is provincials or locals or auxiliaries. And what would happen in, there's a really nice link there if you want to look at it later and read it on your own. This guy um, really goes into some of the depth of the history of how the Roman Empire would expand and hire locals. They often were wise enough to know that if you were an enemy, you know that, you know that state, statement where people say, any uh, enemy of my enemies is a friend of mine? So they were smart enough to know that if they could hire people who also hated the people they were attacking, they would do even a worse, even a more merciless job. And so it's in in uh, Daniel nine, which we've looked at several times, because I want to keep you know infusing the book of Daniel in you as we progressively get there. It's important that we understand the clarity there. That verse is, people always said, oh, we know who destroyed the temple in 70 AD. It was the Romans. It was the Romans, but it was by the hand of the Syrians. Mm -hmm. So it will fit because, like we, I said a few weeks ago, we're in chapter four now, but chapter two is a chapter, a prophetic chapter. The chapters between two and, um, I, I want to say seven, are really sort of current events as they're recorded in the scripture, so two and seven ties in greatly. And when we start going into chapters um, seven, eight, nine, ten, eleven to twelve, it gets powerfully prophetic. Much of it has been fulfilled already; some of it hasn't. But we're, we're building a foundation on that. So earlier this email, uh, this AM, I sent out an email with two links in it, and I'm sending them again because Yom Kippur is a critical, it's considered a, the weightiest, heaviest day in the, in, the, in the structure of Jewish holidays. And even things like days of awe, which, you know, we, 
we want to we understand there's a Jewish root to the scriptures. It, I mean, God's faithful. If he wasn't faithful to the Jews, he wouldn't be faithful to the primarily Gentile church. So thank God for that. And we know we're going to see how he restores Israel. We've looked at it in our Ezekiel studies and Isaiah studies and our Zephaniah studies and our Zechariah studies. We've we've seen it in our Revelation study. But it's sometimes the church in being coming aware of what God's plan is for Israel, we almost get, quote, too Jewish. And there's a lot of things, like, remember the Jew, and I'm saying it as a Jew who lost most of my family during the war. So I'm not saying it as just an outsider looking in. But the Jewish dilemma throughout the Old Testament and into New Testament times, New Testament times, you have an Inquisition, you have a Holocaust, you have some serious suffering going on. This whole storyline has to be with the disobedient covenant people who failed in their mission to evangelize the world for the God, for the God of heaven. The church, of course, has proceeded to fail as well. So it's not like we're looking at them thinking they screwed up. We've screwed up too as a, as a again, primarily Gentile church. But one of the things that we're inclined to do is we're, we say, oh, you know, it's written in, it's written here and they've been doing it for thousands of years. Oh, you know, 1800 years they've been doing this and it says this. A lot of that stuff is not legit. Those books that those things came out of, including like things written by Rabbi Maimonides and a couple of other people, I've been reading that stuff this week. And then, and I was saying to Robin, I want to say like a week ago, I said, you know, I, I, I just sort of felt a stirring in my spirit about something. And then Avner, our friend in Israel, wrote something that came in that day, like about two hours after I said it to Robin. These two links are solid links. They would be very good for you to read because some of us in our good intention just want this Jewish stuff and it doesn't fit scripture. And those are, and the Talmud and the Mishnah were both written after Christ. And they were trying to, they were doing like disaster <coughs> management on their theology. They were doing disaster management. They purposely were trying to steer people away from the scatological things. They were purposely trying to steer them away from the book of Daniel because it talks about when Messiah would show up. And so, and then we're sitting there. They were trying to drive people away from Jesus. Yeah, they were trying to, and those books, the same ones that talk about days of awe and talk about some of the things that Jews should be doing that they've been doing for 1,800 years now or 2,000 years, those same books tell you that Jesus deserved to die that he was leading people into polytheism. I mean, so those are the books that people are quoting, but they're quoting things that look um, pious, and they're not pious. So I'm just saying, as a Jew, it's funny, even in the, this morning I was reading Abner's latest, and I was, I was saying, he was talking about the dilemma of Messianic Jews. I'm a Messianic Jew. And you sit there thinking, how much of this is on me to accomplish and walk in? And, and what does it not look like as much as what it looks like? Now, the bottom line is, if you have a prayer life and you're in your word, you're going to do fine. If you don't have those, it doesn't matter how many hoops you jump through, how many days you fast. It doesn't matter how many days of all these other things that you observe. If you don't have a relationship with God, he'll, he will say, I never knew you. Yeah. I mean, Jesus really laid out some tough Words and people say, "Oh, you know, we want to sing Jesus loves me. He does love us, but he loves us according to his word, and that's what we want to have in us." So these are great links. So returning to Daniel nine for a minute as we go forward, uh, we look at here's the Jewish prophet. He prays to the Lord and consider this accurate prayer, even as you read Avner's writings. And I heartily recommend you click on those two links later, not now, 
unless I bore you. <laughs> so chapter 9, Daniel prays. Listen to what he says. And I prayed to the Lord my God and made confession. This is verse 4 in chapter 9. And said, O Lord, great and awesome God. Awesome again means terrible. It's not like awesome hot dog. In Hebrew, the word yar is like petrifying. It's like, yeah, it's, yeah. it's like, wow. Like when Nebuchadnezzar had that dream that says the statue was awesome. It means it freaked him out. It wasn't just like, wow, look how big and beautiful it is. Although it was beautiful. I made confession and said, O Lord, great and awesome God, who, and here's the point. He keep, who keeps his covenant and mercy with those who love him and with those who keep his commandments. And here Daniel owns it and says, we've sinned and committed iniquity. You, we've, we have done wickedly and rebelled even by departing from your precepts and your judgments. So we had them and we left them. We had them, we had them and we left them. Neither have we heeded your, and here I put in the word true, your, true, your servants, the prophets. The problem all the time is that you end up with people, you, people want to hear softer words than the prophets speak. Now, as a teacher or preacher or prophet, you don't want to just try to like get people angry at you and you're not trying just to like, you know, whack them with a stick to get them serving God. But the truth is, the truth is, the truth is tough. It's a tough truth. Tough is the truth is truth. It, yeah, it is. We have sinned and committed iniquity, okay? We, neither have we heeded your servants or prophets who spoke in your name to our kings and princes, to our fathers and all the people of the land. That was the not heeding the true prophets was this, really, it opened up this onslaught of a lot of Jewish fables. I mean, even, I think, it's, I want to say it's in Titus, but it talks about, there's a lot of things that even in the church in the very beginning, people wanted to bring in Jewish cultural religion Cultural religion has killed the church. We have a lot of ceremonies and, and liturgies, and I'm not saying there's anything necessarily wrong with liturgy if it aligns with scripture, but there's stuff that has been laid on us by the Catholic Church and the Protestant Church, which is not legit. And, it's, and, it, and it becomes a legalism because they, they say, if you do these things, God will love you. That doesn't, it doesn't, he doesn't roll that way. He doesn't change things because man has come up with a new way to, to lean on us and control us religiously. So it's not an arrogance and it's not an independence. It's actually a submission to God. Because when they said, teach us how to pray, he said, all right, surrender your will to my will. And he, basically anything less than that is, is not surrender. So God's calling us into that. And, you know, and Paul refers to it as the law of liberty, which is hilarious. The whole concept, that when we think of law, we think of restraint. And we see a nation now, a humanistic nation, devolving sociologically, and we're thinking, oh, we don't want to have laws. Oh, you steal, oh, you kill, oh, you this. You could be out in the day, you don't do this. Where no one's responsible, you had a tough childhood. And without law, it's crazy. There's a Bible study going on locally here on Nehemiah. It's all about building a wall. Can you imagine building a wall? The whole concept of building a wall that there's a whole book dedicated to building a wall, that walls are purposeful. I mean, there's, there's, there's places where we have to function as saints according to the will of God. And the test on us is how much of the religious stuff do we want to cling to just because it becomes either convenient or popular or you look like a rebel. I, we've t actually, I probably told you before, but we had a pastor 
his wife said, you people like you and your wife are the hardest people to pastor. And we're thinking, no, we're just the hardest people to control because we pray. <laughs> so this, what's that? We seek God. Yeah, we seek God. We're chasing God. It doesn't mean you don't submit. If you're, if you're in a ministry that you don't agree with, then, then pray your way out of it. <clears throat> it's not, there's no revolution in, in, uh, in church. But at the same time, God calls it to submit to his ways. <clears throat> oh, Lord, righteousness. Oh, and then I have your rabbi. You know, he's talking about the teachers. We've not listened to your prophets. And these prophets, you know, they're all these prophets and these false teachers were, are the ones that have destroyed Judaism and destroyed Christianity. There's a consistent work of trying to erode the glory of the truth of God. And I always say this. I was speaking on... A, something yesterday I was recording for a, a cancer uh, conference. Like thousands of people will be there. And I was just saying how amazing God is. He's amazing. Like really knowing him, that's exciting to do. It's not when church is boring, it's because you're boring usually. Or if your walk is boring, it's because you're boring. God's not boring. He's anything but boring. If you're reading scripture, scripture's not boring. O oh Lord, righteousness belongs to you, but to us shame of face, as it is this day, to the men of Judah, to the inhabitants of Jerusalem, and all Israel, those near and far off, in all the countries to which not simply we ended up being taken captive, but he says, you've driven them. There's an accountability. There's a why in why a lot of things happen. There's a why to why things happen. And again, yesterday in this uh, video I recorded to open this conference, I was saying just because you're here and you have cancer doesn't mean you did something wrong because that's like massive insanity yeah. because we're living in a very broken, shaken, troubled world and we're on a boat that's shaking. But when we're planted in him, we're planted in him and we're called to be planted in him. This is why he is working to get everybody closer to him. So yesterday I also suggested when I sent out something that you perhaps read Psalm 107, which we're going to actually look at this morning. There's some interesting people groups described there. And God's mercy is it's all in delivering people from trouble and also in sending trouble. His mercy is actually shown in both. Sometimes we run into things, and you know, you've heard me say life is hard, it's harder when you're stupid. But the truth is we can make things tougher if we're doing things that are out of order with his plans. And the idea of holy and holistic Actually, they actually line up. It's not a, a, a new agey thing, holistic. God wants us to be complete, like when Jesus says, Echad, you know, the Lord is Echad, Shema Yisrael, Adonai Eloheinu, Adonai Echad. He's saying God is complete. There's a holistic nature to God. He's complete and perfect. He's calling us into that, and the world is dying to see a church mm -hmm. that looks holy. Most people who aren't in church who were raised in some kind of Christian faith, it's typically a church issue. Now, we're also called to be offended at church, by the way, and so we have to get over that, but it's all about relationship with him. It's all about relationship and submission. So when I also suggested we read uh, Peter, 2 Peter 3, which we'll look at one verse later, and also uh, Daniel 11, which we look at every week. Now, that has to do with the great exploits and leading people to him. The journey that we're going to get to this morning is Nebuchadnezzar's journey, which is ridiculously amazing. And it should give us great um, encouragement when we're loving on people and they're not saved. Relatives, loved ones, neighbors, people who just don't know, they're like you know, deer in headlights, they, they, everything's in front of them except an awareness of 
that there's a God in heaven and the days that we're living are prophet, have been prophesied. And you think, how can I say it any more clearly? And the answer is, you, maybe you can, maybe you can't. But this actually should radically encourage you when you see the journey of this, quite frankly, lunatic king. Quite frankly, a lunatic king. So Psalm 107, there's four people groups mentioned here. At different times, and both before salvation and even after our salvation experience, you could probably identify with having been in all four groups. So yes, you've been a wanderer, yes, you've been a fool, yes, you've been a rebel, yes, you thought you had it together. It's just who we are. It's, it's the nature of mankind. So it's cool. There's a global statement, and we're going to run through. This could be a teaching on its own, and I have taught it, but I want to get to Daniel, because this is a Daniel study. This is uh, 107, Psalm 1. Oh, give thanks to the Lord, for he is good, for his mercy endures forever. Let the redeemed, the ones he brought back of the Lord, say so. <laughs> Open your mouth and say it, whom he's redeemed from the hand of the enemy. It means we have an enemy. And he lays hold of people as they're in sin. They get captivated by sin and captured. And gathered them out of not just Israel, but out of the whole world. Out of the lands from the east, from the west, and from the north, and from the south. So group one is, I've numbered these, of course, they're the wanderers. Doesn't tell you why they're wandering. Maybe they never heard of Jesus. Maybe they, they never saw a real testimony of salvation, whatever it is. There's no blame on them. They're just wandering, and wandering's not a good thing here. This is not being on the pilgrimage of God. Being on a pilgrimage is you have a leader and you're following him. Wandering is bouncing off the walls. Are you agreeing with me with that hand motion? Oh, sorry. <laughs> okay, that was just, that was good. <laughs> okay, they wandered. They, okay, they wandered in the wilderness in a desolate way, hungry and thirsty. Their so, their soul fainted in them. Okay, they found no city to dwell in. Their soul fainted in them. So they're looking for a place where they belong. Have you? Ever, I've met people like that. Who they're moving every six months, every two years, every something, and they're they're just bouncing off the walls of life, thinking, "I need another school. I need another husband. I need another job. I need another something." They're wanderers, and they're looking for a place to go home. Then, after near fainting, they finally get to this place where they're at their wits' end. They cried out to the Lord in their trouble. So the trouble actually had a good result. It culminated in something good. And instead of him rubbing his, their noses and wandering, he delivered them out of their distresses and he led them forth by the right way that they may go to a city for a dwelling place. Now yesterday I was riding my bicycle listening to Jeremiah and I was thinking about one person in particular in my life who has prayed with me several times and says to me, I've prayed and nothing's happened and he's off in some bad religion right now. And I thought, there's never a short circuit on God's side. If you want to pray to prove that there's no God, you will have proof. Because he's not kidding with us. This is all about us coming to him on his terms. He's lovely and loving and jealous enough that he will continue working with you usually, usually, but he's not fooling with people. And so here, they cry out sincerely in their trouble. And what does he do? He delivered them out of their distresses. He led them forth by the right way that they may go to a city for a dwelling place. He actually is the answer to their need. The cry of their heart is always going to be found in Jesus. And then there's this statement again. Oh, the men would give thanks to the Lord for his goodness, for his wonderful works to the children of men. That's like the, uh, you know, that's like the chorus, if this was a song. That's the chorus. That's for everybody. 
For he satisfies a longing soul and fills a hungry soul, hungry soul with goodness. Then now we're in group two. Group two is a little more accountable for their lives. And I was clearly in this group many times. Rebels. Those who sat in darkness and in the shadow of death, they're not just wandering, bound in affliction and iron. So it doesn't have to be physical, though it could be. But literally, they're bound up. Why? Because they rebelled against the words of God and despised the counsel of the Most High. You could take the Ten Commandments off a wall. It doesn't mean they're not in place. You could strip everything out. This is his world. The earth is the Lord's. So it doesn't matter whether, I mean, it does matter to people, but here, God does it. Why are they in darkness and shadow of death? Why are they bound up? Because they rebelled against the words of, the, of God and despised the counsel because he teaches, teaches sinners in the way. We're going to see it with Nebuchadnezzar later. Therefore, God, in his mercy, his covenantal mercy, brought down their heart with labor. They fell down and it was under help. So they're looking for help, and God might have even kept the help away. People, well, I tried this and it didn't work. Some people are even calling out to God like he was a lifeguard, but they're not calling out on his terms. They fell down, there was none to help. Then, at that time, they finally said, I need, I seriously need God. At that, then they fell down, and there was none to help. Then they cried out to the Lord in their trouble, and instead of rubbing their nose in it, he saved them out of their distresses. He brought them out of darkness and the shadow of death and broke their chains in pieces. And here's that same, oh, that man would give thanks to the Lord for his goodness, for his wonderful works to the children of men, for he has broken the gates of bronze and cut the bars of iron in two. Because it's all his to do. He can set, he's sets you free. You don't get set free, by the way, through salvation. You get forgiven through salvation. You get set free by abiding in his word. So there's many saints who are bound up simply because they are saved. It doesn't mean he's going to love them any more or any less. But Paul said, you're restricted by your own affections. If you want to put something up in your life, even doctrine, even your anointing, even your whatever, if you want to put something up between you and God, it will bind you up again. But he says, I can break all that. Here's group three. I was king of this group. Fools. Because of their transgression and because of their iniquities, iniquities were afflicted. Their soul abhorred all manner of food, and they drew near to the gates of death. Then, at that time, in that place, then they cried out to the Lord in their trouble, and he saved them out of their distresses. He sent his word and healed them and delivered them from their destructions. Guess what the psalmist says? Oh, the men will give thanks to the Lord for his goodness and for his wonderful works to the children of men. Let them sacrifice the sacrifices of thanksgiving and declare his works with rejoicing. That means open your mouth. This world is hearing so much bad news, so much noise, so much hopelessness, so much bad religion and spirituality. Open your mouth. Open your mouth. You're waiting for the perfect time? Now's the perfect time. God says, I'll help you. I'll shake the tree violently in the final days before my return. And it's, it's low-hanging fruit right now. There's people getting saved every day. There's a revival springing up. There was a spontaneous baptism we heard about this week. Uh, hundreds in, in Auburn. At Auburn, 700, 700 people ran, ran to get baptized. Just a presence of God two, showed up. 200. 200. 2,000 kids were there. Thank you. 2,000 came and, and 200 went for baptism. That's amazing. And I get, you know, our friend Clayton Gallagher, who, you know, I, our friend from Los Angeles, um, every week 
he has he has favor in the public schools in LA. You want to support a ministry, support Hope for Homeless Youth in Los Angeles. You want to support a ministry, support Avner Bosky, David's tent in, in Israel. There are ministries doing amazing things. In the middle of crazy LA, God has given favor to Clayton Gulliher. And that ministry, there's people getting saved and baptized, filled with the Holy Spirit every week. In the middle of the terrible stuff. Group four. Now here's a, another group. Masters and commanders of their own destinies. Not. People think they are. Hey, I got it all together now. I have a moat with alligators. I have a security force. I got uh, an IRA and I have well, whatever. I have everything I need here. I got three cars. I got like a, you know, a, a 50 gallon drums of water and I have a 50 round magazine for my AR. I'm set. Those who go down to the sea in ships, who do business on great waters, these are the masters and commanders. They see the works of the Lord and his wonders in the deep. For he, he commands and raises the stormy wind. He loves these proud, arrogant businessmen, corporate executives, uh, you know, movers and shakers. He loves them so much that he commands and raises stormy winds. You think, Gee, would that be God who loves us? The answer is, you bet which lifts up the waves of the sea. They mount up to the heavens. They go down again to the depths. Their soul melts because of trouble. They stagger. They reel to and fro and stagger like a drunken man and are at their wits' ends. Their wits, they credit their wits with their success. And their wits can't get them out of this. So what happens? And they cry out to the Lord in their trouble. And what does he do? Instead of sitting there telling them all the things they did wrong, when they cry out in that place, I remember the night Rob and I got saved. It was crazy, and we were and we were in really we were actually in really good shape, not sobriety wise, but we were really in good shape at that season of our life. As everything was working out, we were in love, and on beach, driving new cars, had great career jobs, everything was cool, love with each other, and God, fortunately, was broke into us. Said we didn't have to wait till something horrific happened to us. But this is the typical here. Then they cried out to the Lord in their trouble. He brings them out of their darkness. He calms the storm that its waves are still. Then they are glad because they are quiet. And so he guides them to their desired haven. The place they really wanted to get to was him. And then it goes on into a whole bunch of absolute sovereignty of God, which I won't get into just for time's sake. But he goes through and he says, I will deal. And read this. It's really cool. It's not even in teeny type. But it's, um, you know, he basically says he sets things up. He, try, he changes nice places into barren wildernesses. And he takes barren places and he makes them lush and green. He's basically saying, I'll do whatever it takes to get your attention. I'll send locusts. I'll let you win the lottery. Whatever the storyline is, he knows he has a prescription to get someone's attention. And I love how it concludes. Whoever is foolish and ignorant or just wants like a lightweight understanding of God sees this as a little illustratable story. But he says, whoever is wise will observe these things and they will understand the loving kindness of the Lord. This is loving kindness, sending trouble, allowing people to be in chains of affliction. Sometimes it manifests as health because we're not treating our bodies right. Sometimes it manifests in other aspects of our lives which are very sacred to us, relational things, raising kids, how you run your business, because he says, there's a way that I want you to walk. 
And these days, when it gets this crazy, it's more critical than ever that we get things right. It's why Paul in Ephesians said, having done all to stand in the evil day. He's not looking to knock us down, but the world's shaking right now. And again, as always, talking about the shaking, you know, the verse we read every week, I read. It's in Haggai 2, verse 6 through 9. Once more, it is a little while. To him, it's a little while. This was written before Jesus. But it's a little while in God's time plan. I will shake heaven and earth, the sea and dry land. And I will shake not just Israel, not just America, not just the covenant nations. I'll, I'll shake all nations. And the purpose of the shaking, and they shall come to the desire of all nations. And I will fill this temple with glory, says the Lord of hosts. That's his warrior name. That's Adonai Tzivaot. That's king of the universe, commander of the armies of heaven. He's not just saying, I'm just going to put a little shake on it. He says, I'm going to shake the daylights out of this place. He says, I'm going to do that because when things go well, people typically don't come to God. Most of the time, that's not the circumstance. And he says, because the priority is eternity, if you have to go through life maimed, halt, and blind and to miss eternity, Oh, separate from God. He says, you're better off in a wheelchair. My, you know the story. You got most of you. I, my attorney, who I loved desperately, we were besties in many ways, just had everything going for him, ended up the last 13 years of his life in a wheelchair. He got saved in that chair. He got saved. He got really bona fide saved. He died, he died first wave of COVID. He's not in a chair anymore. It was the best thing that happened to him in many ways. Very, very tough, but he kept, he, 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 he admitted it. You know, I'm not telling you anything private. He admitted it. He says he basically said, I made vows to God that I'll never keep. I said, don't do that. And he would cry out, and we would cry out for circumstances. God would deliver me, go back to his life. He ends up in a wheelchair, he gets saved. I had a dream of him in heaven. I had one of those supernatural, I already knew it, I mean, by his life, I'd go visit him and he'd be preaching the gospel to the, the other guy in the memory care facility, but, but this guy made it. God's serious about what he's doing right now. The silver is mine, he says, and the desire of nations in Hebrew is hemda, is, it's a nickname for the Savior. They're going to come to the Savior. They'll come. They're going to come out of Islam. They're going to come out of Orthodox Judaism. They're going to come out of Hinduism. They're going to, they're not all of them, some of them. But they will come because God will deal with people who are sincerely seeking him. The silver is mine. The gold is mine, says the Lord of hosts. The glory of this latter temple, the one yet to be rebuilt, shall be greater than the former and the one that he will be in, says the Lord of hosts. And in this place, I will give peace, says the Lord of hosts. Warrior God says, I'm coming to give peace, meaning there won't be peace on earth before he comes. It's going to be the most troublesome days, hence the word tribulation. It's going to be tough days. But he says, well, I'm going to bring peace with me. I'm the Prince of Peace. Mm -hmm. That's the irony of, what is it, Psalm 122 or 23, pray for the peace of Jerusalem. Do we know what, Psalm 122, 123? But anyway, you think of the irony is there won't be peace there until the Prince of Peace comes. And, the, and it has to get tougher there for them to say, Baruch HaBaba Shem Adonai. Before they say, blessed is he who comes, they're going to have to call that out knowing who they're calling it out to. It's not just a, a, a secret phrase. They're going to have to literally, and that's going to be the saints who were saying to the Jewish people in Isaiah when it says, comfort yet comfort my people, that's, the, that's written to us. So we say to the Jewish people, your Messiah is Jewish. It happens to be that guy Jesus. 
So recently, you know, we've considered this truth. These verses in Haggai, they were written before Jesus appeared as the Messiah. But also, the book of Hebrews was written to discourage Messianic Jews in the first century. And if you read Hebrews, the punchline, the conclusion of the book of Hebrews is the promise in Haggai. So this, this, don't check this off as having happened in 70 AD or any other time. Don't check it off. Listen to what the writer of Hebrews tells the praying saints, the New Testament saints. See that you do not refuse him who speaks. That means he's still speaking. And he wants to speak. And if you're not hearing, it's on your end. It's on your end. You have 24 hours, what do you do with him? See that you do not refuse him who speaks. For if they did not escape who refused him who spoke on earth, which was through the prophets, much more, the bar is elevated, shall we not escape? If we have a free will choice, if we turn away from him who's speaking from heaven by the Holy Spirit. He's saying, don't go there in these days. These are the days. You need to know when to be someplace, what not to do. You need to, and it's not just a question of like saving your bacon. Oh, I'm so glad I didn't die in that thing or something like that. But it's you want to be in the will of God for your life. You want to redeem the time. By Paul said it in Ephesians, you want to be in the will of God, know, walking in the spirit, understanding what he's saying, redeeming the time. And so what is one of the, things going on right now is busyness and a lot of it's religious busyness or there's distractions and you think your life is his life it's supposed to be whose voice then shook the earth but now he's promised saying yet once more i shake not only the earth but also heaven the writer of hebrews is quoting the book of haggai it's the only place it appears in scripture there's a couple of other shaking works throughout scripture but he's quoting haggai right now and now he says, now this yet once more indicates the removal of those things that are being shaken as the things that are made, that the things which cannot be shaken may remain. And then he goes on, he says, let's have grace by we might serve God with reverence and fear. You think, but wait, doesn't Jesus love me? He, yes, he does. He gives you grace. You can, you can serve him with reverence and fear because he's a consuming fire and he's coming back in that way. So it's pretty really straightforward. So yesterday I pre-recorded this opening convocation for an online worldwide cancer conference that often has thousands of viewers, some of which won't be alive for next year's conference. Many, many will, most will, but some won't. And I spoke, and they're from all places. They're agnostic, they're atheists, they're Jewish, there's people of the Baha'i faith involved in this. It's, and so it's real, I, the way I have to present it is I can't mention the J word, so I don't, but God's all over it, and I do it often this conference like every year and you know some of them are some of them are in seriously unchristian or false faiths and some have faith and one of the, you know and i wrote this to i said this to them yesterday cancer can be a highly motivating factor causing people to press into a relationship with god or if you already have one a deeper relationship with god it's just trouble it's, it's not being a hypocrite saying, oh, I can't call. The devil will always accuse you no matter where you are in your walk, whether you don't know him or you've known him 30 years or 50 years. He's always going to accuse you if you press in deeper. Let him accuse you. That's his job. Keep your eyes on Jesus. We spend more time worried about the devil than we do saying, God, what's your will for my life? So in the story of Nebuchadnezzar, which we'll now look at in this morning, we're going to get to Daniel 4. And a quick review of Nebuchadnezzar, and this is critical because we have a lot of people around us who aren't saved. 
and they're in shaking works, they're in shaking situations. If you have eyes open to God, you could see God's hand in dealing with people. I have friends with Parkinson's disease, strapped in wheelchairs. I have business associates that I've met, I've known for 30, 40, 50 years. Some of them knew me back in my drug days because I, I wasn't saved when I started working in the industry I'm in. A lot of them, some of them are, they knew me at my worst. And all this stuff is going on and you're watching God deal with people over the course of time. And a lot of them aren't saved yet. Don't lose hope. But also don't lose your testimony. And don't get frustrated. And don't get angry. Just keep living for Jesus. And God will light you up for them. That's the storyline. He will light you up for them. But it's not just knowing that he's real. It's knowing his will. Chapter 1 in the book of Daniel. So Nebuchadnezzar attacks Israel. God actually calls Nebuchadnezzar his servant in several places. He, at God's leading, he takes the Hebrew people captive into a demonized land, Babylon. That will play through the whole story of the book. Chapter two, God sends to Nebuchadnezzar a, at God's, a, a most troubling dream, the awesome dream, and captive Daniel not only interprets the dream, but first tells the king what the dream was. Whoa, talk about credibility. Here's this guy dragged off into captivity at maybe 14 years old, and now he's standing before this king who literally has the authority to say, off with their heads. These, the furnace that Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego were in, that was a furnace to cook people. They didn't use like a pottery furnace because it was, it was made with a viewing stand so they could watch people in the furnace. They were demonized. And we get Babylon all the way from the Tower of Babel and Nimrod all the way through to the book of Revelation. Babylon has fallen. So guess what? You want to talk about who's going to destroy the temple and what's going on in that part of the world? It's actually a lot clearer than most people want to address. So what happens? He, God sends the dream. Daniel speaks to him. And look at what happens to the king at the end of the dream. Remember, he was petrified when he saw the dream. He was freaking out. So here's what happens. Daniel 2, 40, chapter, uh, verse 46 and 47, this king, who's high and mighty, this murderous, torturous king, then King Nebuchadnezzar fell down on his face, fell on his face, prostrate before Daniel. This guy was not apt to do that. This guy was probably on a high throne with glorious stuff going on and a whole court of people with swords and, and wine tasters and oh, the whole deal. You've seen the movies of all the kings in ancient times. This guy falls down before this slave servant, basically, if you will. They treated him better than that because they knew he was a wise man at this time. But he falls down before Daniel and commanded that they should present an offering and incense to him. The king answered, again, that's that we don't have a word in English, but he, he responds to the situation because Daniel hadn't asked him anything. The king answered and Daniel and said, Truly, your God is the God of gods, the Lord of kings, and a revealer of secrets, since you could reveal the secret. Now, they were all about polytheism, many gods. So he's still calling God Daniel's God. What well, certainly wasn't his God yet. He didn't get saved. He could have gotten saved right here. This was God's first visitation. Actually, Dan, he knew he was sent by God too. So this guy was getting touched by God along his journey. And now Daniel reads his mail and he falls down in front of him. Like everybody's thinking, oh my goodness, that's the king falling down. And, you know, all that stuff. And he goes, wow, you're God, you're God, you're God. It still wasn't enough. He didn't get converted. We have 
relatives who've had situations with God and they still didn't get converted. Don't give up. Chapter 3, there's this worthless, silly statue that's like, I think it's like, was it 60 cubits? It's 90 feet tall. I might have gotten that accurate, inaccurate last week. And here, the worthless statue could have resulted in the death of many people. If you didn't bow down before this, this the king says to the people, if you fall down, good. Like the answer is good. Like the whole purpose of falling down for a statue is like goofy. And Daniel, where is it? Oh, yeah, these guys come to him and they say, you, O king, in chapter 3, you, O king, have made a decree that everyone who hears the sound, this is what we read last week, when you hear this symphony, the horn, the flute, harp, lyre, and psaltery, and symphony with all kinds of music shall fall down and worship the gold image. And whoever does not fall down and worship shall be cast into the midst of a burning, fiery furnace. Now, to us, it sounds like a little history thing or a, you know, a black and white movie from the 50s, but can you imagine being there? This is real life. And these are people who, they're really into this whole furnace thing. We know that. Cyrus's name and keeper of the furnace. They're all about burning people. We've seen it in the last 15 years. They take hostages and they put them in cages and light them on fire. It's not, it's not new. So you've got three faithful men, Jewish men, they're cast into the furnace. And what happens? King Nebuchadnezzar, who's at his viewing platform to see people roasted, in Daniel 3, in verse 24, then King Nebuchadnezzar was astonished, and he rose in haste and spoke, saying to his counselors, Did we not cast three men bound in the midst of the fire? They answered and said to the king, True, O king. Look, he answered, I see four men loose, walking in the midst of the fire, and they're not hurt, and the form of the fourth is like the Son of God. He got visited again, and he still doesn't get saved. How many times, I, I, we have a friend, who, I'm still dealing with him about a soul. His wife passed away last year, 20 years ago. His sister with a tumor was living upstairs in this house and we came to visit him, a Jewish man, and, and I, we said, can we pray for your sister? He says, well, I said, well, look, can we pray down here? He said, okay. We prayed for her, she lived like another 10, 15 years. Still hasn't gotten saved yet. So we're gonna see Hardening of hearts, we're going to see people being distracted, we're going to see people thinking, oh, I call, uh, yes, he did a great work for my life, he must love me, I must be good to go. Mm -hmm. It doesn't work that way. So the three come out of the furnace, fourth guy disappears, they don't get burnt up. Nebuchadnezzar spoke saying, blessed be the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, who sent his angel and delivered his servants who trusted in him, and they frustrated the king's word, meaning his word, yielded their bodies that they should not serve nor worship any god except their own god. Again, he's proclaiming truth. So this is the journey of a king, and then he says, <clears throat> therefore I make a decree that any people, nation, or language which speaks anything amiss against the god of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego shall be cut in pieces, and their houses shall be made an ash heap. That's moderate legislation. This madness still goes on, literally, and this guy makes a decree in, in the Babylonian culture or that part of the world, something is in place. This isn't happening. These are the people who are going to lead a charge against Jerusalem at the end. So now he still doesn't get saved. So now we understand that we have Psalm 107, we have God dealing with every person on earth, we have specific people like in, in this account 
in the book of Daniel, we're looking at a king, we're looking at a sovereign man who answers to nobody. And he's polytheistic. He's polytheistic. So the idea of saying, your God's amazing, but we have all these gods, he's still calling Daniel by his Babylonian name that they gave him. There's still nonsense. And we look around on the world thinking, can't you see that God is on the throne? Can't you see what he's doing on earth right now? But we're called to be telling people that. We're called to be a light in a dark place in these days. And again, we go back to don't refuse him. So Daniel 4 is the personal testimony of the king. Now, at the conclusion of this, you can conclude, you can reach the conclusion he got saved. The answer is we'll find out when we get, when we get there. I don't know. We don't know the conclusion. And this is the last chronicle in scripture. But this is the only testimony of a world emperor of God rocking someone's world this hard. Nebuchadnezzar the king, to all peoples, nations, and languages that dwell in all the earth, peace be multiplied to you. Remember, this is the murderer. This is the guy who put hooks through people's faces and dragged them on ropes through the Ishtar gate into captivity for 70 years. Peace to you. See, it was, a, it was a good day. I was having a good day. I thought it good to declare the signs and wonders that the Most High God has worked for me. But this is what happens like in the ministry in India that we're affiliated with. Um, that Ernest used to say, I'm, I love it when Hindus get baptized. I love it when this happens. I love it with that. He says, but what I'm more impressed when they wipe off their dot. That they're not just embracing yet another God, but they're realizing it's the one true God. And this, you know, some of us have to wipe the dot off our heads. Some of us, what is it? Your future, your spouse, your career, your skills, your ministry. Some of us are walking around with dots on our heads. And God's saying, I want all of you. I paid all and I want all of you. And this is the work that he's doing right now because he deserves all of us. And it's actually the only safe places in his will. So he says here, I want to tell you the signs and wonders that the Most High God worked for me. How great are his signs and how mighty his wonders. His kingdom is an everlasting kingdom and his dominion is from generation to generation. I, Nebuchadnezzar, was at rest in my house and flourishing in my palace. So things were going swell. I saw a dream which made me afraid, and the thoughts of my, on my bed and the visions of my head troubled me. Therefore I issued a decree to bring in all the wise men of Babylon before me, that they might make known to me the interpretation of the dream. These are the same guys who failed the dream test in chapter 2. These are the guys who, some of them were getting slaughtered when Daniel had the interpretation and the, and the revelation of the first dream. And these guys were still so full of demons that they, they but they were afraid to open their mouths up before this guy. No, they didn't know where they sat. And Daniel was already elevated to a place of credibility. And this probably took, it could have taken days, weeks, months to get these people together. We don't know. Then the magicians, the astrologers, the Chaldeans, and the soothsayers came in. And I, this time he didn't ask for the dream. I told him the dream. But they, this is clear that this is a second dream. But they did not make known to me its interpretation. I think they were freaking out, thinking, last thing I want to do is give an interpretation, and he's going to call that Jewish dude in. And he's going to, <laughs> he's going to look like a moron again. But he says, but at last Daniel came before me. His name is Belteshazzar, which is scary, because this is after the fact of the dream and the events following it, and he's still calling Daniel by his Babylonian name. It makes you wonder, I don't know that he got saved. I used to say, I think he might have, he, I don't know. 
You see, he had all, but of course, people get saved with baggage too. We know that. So, whatever. According to the name of my God, in him is the spirit of the holy God. So then you want to say, excuse me, king, is, are your gods unholy? And I told a dream before him saying, Balteshazzar, chief of the magicians, because I know that the spirit of the holy God is in you and no secret troubles you. Explain to me the visions of my head that I have seen and its interpretation. These were the visions of my head while on my bed. I was looking and behold, a tree in the midst of the earth and its height was great. The tree grew and became strong. Its height reached to the heavens and it could be seen to the ends of all the earth. Its leaves were lovely, its fruit abundant, and in it was food for all. Sounds idyllic, perfect. Everybody's, there's shade, there's nourishment, there's, I mean, it's a good thing, everything's cool. I saw in the vision of my head, while on my bed, there was a watcher, a holy one coming down from heaven. An observer, but more than an observer. And he's coming down from heaven. He cries aloud, he cried aloud and said thus, Chop down the tree and cut off its branches, strip off its leaves and scatter its fruit. Let the beasts get out from under it and the birds from its branches. Nevertheless, leave the stump and roots in the earth, bound with a band of iron and bronze in the tender grass. Let it be wet with the dew of heaven and let him graze with the beasts on the grass of the earth. Let his heart be changed from that of a man. Let him be given the heart of a beast and let seven times pass over him. This decision is by the decree of the watchers and the sentence by the word of the holy ones in order that the living may know that the most high rules in the kingdom of man and gives it to whomever he will and sets over it the lowest of men. So he has this dream, everything looks cool, everything's in place, and suddenly this guy comes and he's causing trouble. He's from God and he's causing trouble. And everybody's suffering as a result of this. The tree, everything, all the, all the, the, the comfort, the nutrition, the protection, the stability, all that stuff, it's all coming down. And he's saying, this is happening. I'm calling it as a divine act on the world. And he says, cut it down, strip off the leaves. This was not a gradual decline. We're seeing our nation actually in terrible decline right now, but there's something supernatural about what's happening on earth. In America right now, it's very clear. No one would have guessed this would be happening. And many people don't even want to address it yet because it's not bad enough yet. But it will be because God will work in his mercy to get everybody's attention. And then most people still will say no. And some people will be waving Jesus loves me flags, but they won't know him. Others will be saying Jesus loves you, but they're not surrendered. God's calling us to this place of consistent surrender to him. And then... He says, now he, he, he turns it into, let it be wet with the dew of heaven, verse 15. And then it says, let his heart be changed from that of a man. It's talking, it's, it's steering in, the dream is steering into the personification, a, 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 addressing a person, and someone is going to actually suffer in this dream, and something is going to happen for a period of time, seven being the number of perfection in scripture. This decision is by the watchers who are in complete alignment with God because everybody who rebelled against God was already out of heaven. And the sentence by the word of the Holy Ones, in order that the living may know. Guess who they are? That's you. And that's me. And those are the people standing in the room when Nebuchadnezzar is telling this to Daniel. 
and they're still standing in the room when Daniel's interpreting this, and they're still going to be there when the king ends up being that man out for seven seasons, which some people think could be seasons, but they're likely years. And there's cuneiforms and there's obelisks and there's historic stuff in Babylon about those days. And some people say that there's seasons where there was no building recorded, no progress, no wars. And they think it might have been the time that Nebuchadnezzar was basically out in the divine parking lot eating, eating grass. It's pretty sobering. Here's God dealing with a man. This dream I, King Nebuchadnezzar, have seen. Now you, Belteshazzar, remember, he's writing this down to us. He's telling this to Daniel. This dream I, King Nebuchadnezzar, have seen. Now you, Belteshazzar, declare its interpretation. Since all the wise men of my kingdom are not able to make known to me the interpretation, but you are able, for the spirit of the holy God is in you. So God remembered. The other, there's another storyline going through this book of Daniel, and that's the man Daniel. And he's learning. I mean, God set him up literally to be destroyed had he not received the revelation of the dream one. There are things happening in our lives, I believe this, when you say yes to God, he'll put you in situations that again show up as impossible and, and with great jeopardy. He's doing it because he's trying to promote his people. He's trying to get you into places where you have credibility as being a holy man. Not just a nice guy, not just a good neighbor. He's trying to get you to that place. And we have to be real careful in our kumbaya kind of relationship with our unsafe friends that we are kumbaya with them in one way, but in the other way, we're set apart. The word holy means set apart. And again, that doesn't say look religious. He's not, God's, I mean, Jesus, the people he was least patient with were the ultra-Orthodox in his own day. So he's not looking for religiosity, but he's looking for someone who has spent time with him and spends time mm -hmm. and is surrendered and knows where to say no to things that are either compromises or clearly unholy. Because the world is literally dying to see the revelation of the sons of God mm -hmm. in these days. Then, <clears throat> then Daniel, his neighbor's Belteshazzar, was astonished for a time because he already knew the dream. As soon as he spoke it, he knew it. And his thoughts troubled him. So the king is looking at him, probably with a little bit of a twisted, complex face. And so the king spoke, said, Belteshazzar, do not let the dream or its interpretation trouble you. It tells you they had a relationship already. Because he was head of all these magicians and all these charlatans, and Daniel was legit. He was legit. We don't know how many other times he might have counseled the king already. Belteshazzar answered and said, My lord, this is amazing, because Daniel knows this guy's wicked, but he also knows God's hand on him, because he's praying. And sometimes it takes a prayer life to understand some of the lunatics that we're listening to or reading about or you know, seeing on the news. Some of these people, God's hand's mighty on them. doesn't mean they're saved, and it doesn't mean they'll ever get saved. That's up to them. Every person can say yes to God or say no to God, but we're called to see who God's hand is on so we know how to answer every man, as Paul told us. This is not a formula for leading people to Jesus. That's failed many, many times. So the king says, don't let it trouble you. Is that amazing? And Daniel, loving the man, says, my Lord, may the dream concern those who hate you and its interpretation concern your enemies. They were captives there. You'd almost think he'd say, man, I can hardly wait for those guys to come in through the river that they dam up uh, after you die when Belshazzar, the lightweight, is 
uh, on the throne, and, and we get you know we can get set free by Cyrus, or you know, it's, he's not saying that, or Darius, he's not saying that. He's loving the man. This is a prophet of God who is loving people, knowing that God has plans for people, and this will be this will be the gospel that will influence the world. That we're not sitting there saying, "Good, he got what he deserved." If you got what you deserved, you wouldn't be here. I know I wouldn't. My Lord, may the dream concern those who hate you and its interpretation concern your enemies. The tree that you sow, which grew and became strong, whose height reached to the heavens, and which could be seen by all the earth, whose leaves were lovely and its fruit abundant, in which was food for all, under which the beasts of the field dwelt, and whose branches the birds of the heavens had their home. It is you, O king. You can just picture Nebuchadnezzar going, dang, I thought so. That's exactly what I didn't want to hear. <laughs> Probably. And inasmuch, O, o King, who have, it is you, O King, who have grown and become strong, for your greatness has grown and reaches to the heavens and your dominion to the end of the earth. The, the known world for them back then. We spoke about that first week as far as some of the uh, Middle East and hyperbole here. And inasmuch as the king saw a watcher, a holy one coming down from heaven and saying, chop down the tree and destroy it and leave its stump and roots in the earth, bound with a band of iron and bronze in the tender grass of the field. Let it be wet with the dew of heaven, and let him graze with the beasts of the field till seven times pass over him. What he's saying is, this is a sovereign work of God. Binding this stump with these bands is saying, nothing man does is going to deliver this or, or uh, remedy the situation. This is why over and over again in Scripture, when God keeps saying to his people, you don't go down to Egypt when the Babylonians are attacking you, and you don't go up to Babylon when the Egyptians are attacking you. You come to me. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And this is, again, this is us in our lives. Who, who, who's going to help me? And I'm not saying don't take a loan out from a bank. I'm not saying that. I'm simply saying that there are times that we look for help from the world, and the Bible says my help comes from heaven. First thing we want to do is go to God. Something goes wrong in your body, you go to God. First thing you do. He's first. He's supposed to be first. Our need should be, our first fruit of crying out for a need should not be 911. Mm -hmm. I'm not saying you've got to wait 45 days if you're bleeding out. I'm simply <laughs> saying, but you know, like a totally great theological prayer is, Help! Yes. <laughs> Jesus, help me! It's a perfectly thorough theological prayer. But he wants you, to, he has to be first. And it's easier for him to be first when you've made him first. And we're watching it in our 50th year now of salvation that, gosh, it's, some of it's finally dawning upon us to, to put him first. I mean, but we're in this process. We're all in process here. And inasmuch as the king saw, we saw that. Okay, this is the interpretation, O king, and this is a decree of the Most High, which has come upon my Lord the king. They... Who's they? They are the watchers. This is a supernatural thing. This is not an army of coming in. They shall drive you from men. Your dwelling shall be with the beasts of the field, and they shall make you eat grass like oxen. They shall wet you with the dew of heaven, and seven times shall pass over you, till you know that the Most High rules in the kingdom of men. And gives it to whomever he chooses. This is the sovereignty. This is the this defeats the satanic lie in the Gospels when Satan says, these are all mine to give you. Don't ever quote Satan and tell me that validates doctrine. This validates doctrine. 
And inasmuch as they gave the command to leave the stump and roots of the tree, your kingdom shall be assured to you after you come to know that heaven rules. Whoa. God had a plan for this particular man. He was a man of destiny. There are men of destiny right on earth. And first of all, if you're a saint, you're a man and woman of destiny. But there's people with big global international destinies, and they're not saved yet. And many will not, and some will. That's why we pray for leaders. And if we spend as much time praying for people as we did bad-mouthing them, it, things might be a little different. Therefore, and, and remember, this is the king. Nobody tells the king what to do, really. But Daniel has, Daniel's living holy before this man. And he says to him, he gives him huge, huge counsel, and it goes unheeded, though. Therefore, O king, let my advice be acceptable to you. Break off your sins by being righteous and your iniquities by showing mercy to the poor, social justice. Perhaps there may be a lengthening of your prosperity. Perhaps. He says, I don't know, but try. I mean, this is, you've got to do what you can do. All this came upon King Nebuchadnezzar 12 months later. So this is like his world gets rocked by this dream, which again, he could blame on a pepperoni pizza or something, except Daniel interpreted it. And 12 months go by. So he finishes saying that to the king. And I don't know what went on after that, but 12 months go by. And you know, sometimes you get warnings from God or you get a conviction from God or you get a directive from God and you blow it off. And you think, oh, he'll forget. He, God doesn't forget. He calls in the chips. There's things that happen thousands. Of, when he says, yet once more a little while, I'll shake heaven and earth, he was talking like 2,800 years a little while. So on a little bit of a different time schedule than we are. Perhaps there may be a lengthening of your days. All this came upon King Nebuchadnezzar at the end of the 12 months. And this is reminds you of Psalm 50. He was rebuking Israel, and God says to them, you did all these evil things, and I kept silent. You thought I was altogether like you. He says, but I'll set things in order before your eyes. God calls you to do something, you do it. Mm -hmm. At the end of 12 months, he was walking about the royal palace of Babylon, and here comes pride. The king spoke, saying, is not this great Babylon that I have built for a royal dwelling for my mighty power and for the honor of my majesty? Not good. Not good. While the word was still in the king's mouth. This, so many things in Daniel are great about interruptions. Daniel's praying, the angel interrupts him. Here this guy's blowing his own horn. And this, right while the words are in his mouth, a voice fell from heaven, King Nebuchadnezzar, to you it is spoken. The kingdom has departed from you. Now, you, you know, for 12 months, all those people who hated Daniel were probably thinking, well, so much for that dream interpretation. Yeah. It's 12 months later. The kingdom has departed from you. It's done already. It's over. And they shall drive you from men, and your dwelling shall be with the beasts of the field. They shall make you eat grass like oxen, and seven times shall pass over you, until you know that the Most High rules in the kingdom of men, and gives it to whomever he chooses. He's told us again. That very hour, the word was fulfilled concerning Nebuchadnezzar. I can't imagine what it looked like. It says he was driven from men and ate grass like oxen. His body was wet with the dew of heaven till his hair had grown like eagle's feathers and his nails like bird's claws. So, so much for his beauty treatments. He was out maybe for either seven seasons or seven years. And he was living like an animal, literally like an animal. At the end of the time, I, Nebuchadnezzar, can you imagine being in that kingdom? This guy was like ruling nations. I mean, if you 
Google a map of the Babylonian Empire. This was not like one country. This was like spread out, spread out over the Fertile Crescent and crazy. Seven years, where's the king? He's in the parking lot. He's out in the forest. He's out growling. At the end of the time, I, Nebuchadnezzar, lifted my eyes to heaven, and my understanding returned to me, and I blessed the Most High and praised and honored him who lives forever. For his dominion is an everlasting dominion, and his kingdom is from generation to generation. All the inhabitants of the earth are reputed as nothing. He does according to his will in the army of heaven, and among the inhabitants of the earth, no one can restrain his hand or say to him, what have you done? Including us. Sometimes in this, you lay hold of things, you pull things down. If the Lord tells you to pull something down, you pull it down. Mm -hmm. The Lord doesn't just keep your mouth shut or don't do that. Don't tell God what he has to do. I mean, he, he loves listening to us. He tells us a reason with us. And, but pray, if you're praying, that's why he gives you a prayer language. That's why you want to be filled with the Holy Spirit. Because like Paul says in Romans, you don't even know how you should pray. And of course, the church doesn't want to do that because we don't want to offend anybody who thinks we're weird. They think you're weird. Any if you're holy, you're weird. You don't need a prayer language to be weird, but you need one because you want to pray according to the according to what the Spirit in you is. When you're in sync with God and the coordinated incidences are happening and and God's moving in your life, it's thrilling. It's a wild ride. It's glorious. But He's saying this is how I'm calling you to be here in these days as as holy people in front of a world that's raging. Psalm 2 hasn't finished yet. Why do the nations rage and the people imagine vain things? Why do the rulers say, let us come together and break his bonds? And then it says, kiss the son lest he's angry. That's not finished. That wasn't just Old Testament. That's now. The nations are raging more now than ever. And, he, and God's set up an army. He's called us to be an army of voices who are living holy without compromise right now. At the same time, my reason returned to me, and for the glory of my kingdom, my honor and splendor returned to me. It sort of makes you wonder how he's thinking. My counselors and nobles resorted to me. I was restored to my kingdom, and excellent majesty was added to me. And, you know, shave me. Someone do my pedicure, my manicure, get, you know, get these twigs out of my hair, you know, whatever. Now I, Nebuchadnezzar, praise and extol and honor the king of heaven, all of whose works are truth and his ways justice, and those who walk in pride he's able to put down. He doesn't always put them down. And he certainly doesn't put them down on your schedule. And sometimes we sit here and we're praying against the will of God because he's orchestrating things that are way bigger than just us. The world doesn't revolve around us. And at the end of the story, we simply don't know whether he, did, whether he got saved or not. We just don't know. We do know what Paul tells us. This is interesting. In Romans 11, if God did not spare the natural branches, he may not spare you either. There consider the goodness and severity of God on those who fell severity, but on toward you goodness, if you continue in his goodness, other you also, otherwise you also will be cut off. He was right, right here, he's in the goodness of God. He is preaching a sermon to us, and this sermon has been maintained scripturally, for like over 2,500 years, 2,700 years. But we don't know, we don't know if he continued in that goodness. Because just like us, we have to, he had a, if, he, if he got saved, he was required to maintain that. I said it yesterday on this video. I said, your, the spiritual ball is in your spiritual court. Here's your salvation. What are you going to do with your life? You know, you're gonna you want to stop and declare how many years you've known him and talk about great things he did in the past. Those are both good things, but don't stop. 
don't ever stop. And Paul wrote this to believers in the church in 1 Corinthians 6, verse 9. Do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? So just because we've had dynamic experiences with God, which are great. I mean, I'm all about that. I love it. I'm a junkie for his presence. I love it. I love when you feel the presence of God and you get moved upon by him and things start lining up. But he says, do you not know that the unrighteous? And then he's talking to brethren. This is a letter written to a church of believers. Do not be deceived. Neither fornicators, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor homosexuals, nor sodomites, nor thieves, nor covetous, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor extortioners will inherit the kingdom of God. He says, don't let anybody tell you different. There are doctrines in church that tell you, oh man, you're in, you're in, you got the, he doesn't, not an Indian giver, he's like, a, you know, he doesn't give and take away, but he says, but lay hold of something and don't let go of that thing. And these are going to be days where we're going to be tested. It doesn't matter what anybody told you doesn't matter who taught you. This is scripture. And Paul, I love this, and he's sort of leveling with him. He goes, it's not, you didn't start off like this. He says, you started off before yourself. Oh, you started off innocent out of the womb. But he says, you were dirtbags. I could relate to this. And such were some of you. I almost, not all of those things, thank God, but there was a lot of that was me in my Psalm 107 days. But, and such were some of you, but you were sanctified, you were washed. You were sanctified. You were separated. You were justified by what happened on the cross in the name of the Lord Jesus. He says, so don't go back there. And these are days where literally, I mean, preaching the gospel is a hate crime in some places already. People are being in prison for preaching the Bible. So I'm going to get easier. But it's going to get more glorious. So. There, there was a lady in England who uh, was outside of an abortion clinic Praying silently. And she, they took her to court and they finally dismissed the charges after six months because they said, well, we really can't uh, control your thoughts. But if she had been praying out loud, they would have arrested her. And then, and then, you, think, then you think, are you afraid that if you're praying quietly, God might hear you and actually do something and you want to fight him? I mean, I mean talk about a, a disconnect. Mm -hmm. And, you know, and then Jesus tells us this in Matthew 24. Then many false prophets will rise up and deceive men. This is about the conclusion of the age. This is not during the time of Daniel. This is after Daniel. This is not first century. This is not the one saying crucify him, crucify him. This is not the inquisition of people pouring hot burning oil into the ears of people they didn't agree with. This is Jesus talking about the conclusion of the age. Many false prophets will rise up and deceive many. Paul's telling us what not to get deceived about. And actually, it sounds like a lovey-dovey gospel. Oh, once you're in, you're in. You're in church, you're in. You're good, you're good to go. Just tell me I'm good to go. I wanna get, I wanna, I wanna hear a good puppy. Just tell me I'm good to go. He says, no, he says, many false prophets will rise up and deceive many. And because of lawlessness, can you imagine that in a nation will abound? What happens? The love of many will grow cold. But we have to stay in the fire. Yeah. But he who endures to the end, shall be saved. Isn't that amazing? I love it. So the story of Nebuchadnezzar's personal experience with encountering the one true living God, this is amazing. This is the story. When we get to see the Lord, we'll know whether he made it or not. I think we're going to be really happily surprised who made it. We're also going to be surprised by some people who didn't. That's why you just want to keep your eyes on Jesus. And the story of God dealing with his Jewish people continues throughout their captivity in Babylon, and in fact, it continues these days. 
right now. He's faithful to the Jews. He's faithful to his primarily Gentile church. And we are on a journey. This is blessed is the man whose heart is set on pilgrimage. So you're not, there's no retirement, there's retirement on earth. There's no retirement from serving God. There's no retirement. You want to say yes. Your last breath wants to say yes. <laughs> or here I come or something. Really. But you don't want to retire that way. It's, you could take your life, but Jesus said if you seek to save your life, you're going to lose it. And meanwhile, the reason we're here is so that others get saved. Nebuchadnezzar wrote this so that people could hear this and realize God's amazingly serious. Mm -hmm. Loving, not willing that any perish, but he's not fooling with people. And what we're seeing is we see things playing out right now, literally, that, are, that has been prophesied thousands of years ago. And we're living, we're walking in those days right now. And we're able to see this. And when we get into the prophetic chapters, because here we are in chapter 4 right now, but we get into 5 and 6. And then after that, they start getting into the thick, 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 heavy stuff. But we're going to go to Belshazzar. We're going to see a couple other situations. But it's so that we can have models of holy people, like Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, models of despots, you know, these unbelievable, cruel kings. And we start seeing that God is setting us up so that the more we can understand, the more we can serve. Actually, it should draw us, it should woo us into loving him even more, saying he's a safe place. And so he gives us a free will. We could repent. And, you know, the whole thing, even Yom Kippur, this thing that Abner wrote is so great. He was saying, like, we're, when, when you pray, we are praying for a nation. We are praying for the Jewish people. We are praying for a sinful world. We are praying for people in false religions. We're praying for those people. But we're supposed to be repenting every day. Teach us how to pray. Forgive us our sins. He says, you should be Yom Kippuring in many ways every day. We shouldn't, we're not supposed to be, those nonsense, that's nonsense. The gate of heaven is closed. That's a bogus garbage. Maimonides is one of the greatest rabbis in the history of the Jewish people. He said things that set people off for 2,000 years. Look at the history of the Jewish people in the last 2,000 years. Has it blessed them? It has not. And all these theories, all this religious theological theory, which has been on church and on the Jewish people, has not blessed us. And is, he's, he, is he the one talked about the gates of heaven being closed? He, he was one of them. There was another guy they mentioned too. But they're right there. The Mishnah and the Talmud. You can research it yourself online. And I've sent you links over the course of time. And God's story is this, Second Peter 3, which we get to here. The Lord is not slack concerning his promise, as some count slackness. Just like Nebuchadnezzar got a 12-month reprieve thinking, ah, he forgot it. He's not slack. But is long-suffering toward us, not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. So he's willing to deal with us. He'll Psalm 107 deal with us. He'll Nebuchadnezzar in the parking lot deal with us. He'll, he'll do what needs to be. He'll 40 years in the desert deal with us. He'll do what he needs to do to deal with people, societies, cultures. He'll deal with churches. He'll stick his foot out so some of those of understanding will fall to refine them. We're going to see this happening. And he says he doesn't want anybody... His perfect will is that people get saved. His will is, is not that people perish. And our daily repentance, even per the Lord's Prayer, it says, but as he who called you is holy, this is 1 Peter 1, verse 15 and 16, as he who called you is holy, you also be holy in everything, in, your, in the achad of your life, in all of your conduct. It's not in and out. It's not, I'll be back with you in 20 minutes, Lord. I'll see you after I see this movie. That's not who he is. Because it is written, Be holy for I am holy. Thank you, God. Thank you, God.
Thank you for the ones who've gone before us. Thank you for the saints we get to walk life out with. Thank you, Holy Spirit, for being here. You haven't left us as orphans, but you promised that you would infuse us with the knowledge of your will and your purpose. And again, God, we do, we repent of lethargy and complacency and religiosity and all the things that want to come upon us, God, as we grow in you. And all these things that just want to have cling-ons, Lord. Cling-ons, God. We just want to uh, scrape those off us this day and say, your will be done in our lives. You would meet us in this place, God. We, there would be dreams. There would be visions. There would be supernatural encounters. God, that this would not be us inviting you along on our ride through life. But that we might glorify you in all things, Lord. This is the this truly is the magical mystery tour, Lord. This is the thrill ride saying yes to you. And we say yes, God. We say yes, 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 Lord. Amen is a Bible speak for yes. Let it be. So be it, God, that your will will be accomplished in our lives. And Lord, as we unmute our mics, Lord, we're, we're going to say that amen, which uh, literally proclaims that we're in complete agreement with all that you have purposed, God, because you are good. And Lord, your saints said, amen. Amen. Yes. So we say yes, so we say yes. Is anybody out there saying yes to God?